WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation. Plus, MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. I don't know about you, but lately I've been feeling like the world is imploding. There's a lot going on, both here in our country, in our city, also across the world. I don't have to name them. You know what I'm talking about. And it's extremely overwhelming. And I'm at a point in my life where I'm feeling compelled to do something, anything I can do to help, anybody. But how do you choose when there are so many issues you care about? There's a lot of volunteering and activism to choose from. And there's a lot you don't have the capital or capacity to do also. Like, you're just one person. Well, there's another one person who is offering a little advice on all this. Her name is Omkari Williams. What is your work? Tell me. It really is honestly trying to get other people to get up off the couch and do something. Hmm. Tiny little things. It doesn't have to be even to a cause that I care about because, I mean, I care about a lot of things, but I don't care about everything. (laughs) And I don't feel bad about that. Let's be real. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't feel bad about that. There are things yeah. I don't care about. You know, I can understand why someone else does, yes. but they're not my thing. Uh-huh. But that's perfect because I don't need everything to be my thing. I need people to care about things that are not important to me so we can fix all the things. In the most timeliest of times, Omkari just wrote a book about a concept she calls microactivism. It's about identifying the small, manageable ways you can do the good work. And understanding that those small things, when done fully and consistently, add up to being enough. I'm not going to set my sights so high that I paralyze myself. Mm. So I'm more about what can I do realistically that will allow me to make things micro better. Yeah. Right? Macro would be lovely, but I'll take micro. She has this dope quiz she's going to talk about where you identify your activist type. And we'll get into why engaging with people you disagree with is also a form of activism. So if you've also been thinking about how to make your corner of the world a little better, I'll testify that I discovered so much about myself and got pretty inspired. I hope you will, too. Let's get into it. Um, Kari Williams is the author of Microactivism, How You Can Make a Difference in the World Without a Bullhorn. Um, Kari, welcome to The Rundown. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Erin. I'm really happy to be here. I'm so excited you're here. So um, I want to start off with something that happens early on in the book where you say you have this background in film. And yes. I want to know, um, how did that inform your approach to the book? Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. (laughs) I think that it really is about how I engage with story. I wanted the book to be super accessible. 
and not this intellectual exercise. I wanted the book to be something that people could pick up and say, okay, now I know what to do. Mm. Because so often it's we have an idea in our heads and we have no idea what to do with the idea. So we do nothing. Yep. It's too overwhelming. We don't know where to start. Exactly. <laughs> we don't know what to do. We're going to default to nothing. Yes. And right now, with the world the way it is and all the challenges that are presented, nothing is a recipe for literally disaster. Hmm. So I wanted people to feel like, okay, I know what I can do and now I'm going to go do it. Yeah. Because a good film doesn't live in us like an intellectual thing. It lives in us as an experience. And I wanted the book to be like that. Yeah. And I know um, another way that you you talk about explicitly in the book where the film kind of background comes in is with our respective roles that we can play and making a difference um, and see the change that we're that we're all looking to see in our respective ways. And I wonder if you can get into those archetypes that are so yeah, helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. That this was probably the most direct way that my film background played into it because I spent so much time on movie sets. And on movie sets, there's this really clear delineation of roles. You have your star, you have your director, you have your producer, you have your crew and your background actors. And I thought, well, what if I applied that to how people engage in activism in the real world? Mm. There are the headliners, as I call them, which equates to your movie star. That's the face everybody knows. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, the person out there on the stage speaking, preaching to the choir, right? The one that often gets all the credit. Exactly. <laughs> However, if there wasn't a producer in there making sure that all the pieces of the film were in place, then there's a whole bunch of things that don't happen. You have no movie. Mm -hmm. If there's not a director, someone with a very specific vision, then things fall apart because you need someone who's driving the bus. Yes. And then you need all of the people who you never see. You know, on a film, they're the crew and the background actors. In my world, they're the indispensables. Mm. They're the people who are stuffing the envelopes and making the phone calls and printing out the maps for the march route and making sure that there's toilet paper in the bathroom at the office and that there's coffee in the break room all the things that are so far behind the scenes, but without them, everything falls apart because people need those things. Yes. And I think we don't give enough credit to the different roles. So the indispensable, the producer, the, the organizer and the headliner are my variation on the roles you would find on a film set as applied to the roles of people in the activist world. And the thing that's most important about that, I think, in, in one sense, is that there's that one person that's the face of the movement, the headliner, but without all the other people, it doesn't matter. Mm. You know, an analogy I like to use is you have Dr. King at the Lincoln Memorial, and if you don't have all those people down below listening to him, watching him, absorbing what he's saying, he's a tourist. <laughs> That's what he is. Yeah. It's the 100,000 people below that elevated that event to what it was. Mm. Yeah. 
I think it's just important for us to understand that we each have a role to play and it doesn't have to be the person with the microphone. I know the answer I was mainly looking for when I heard of your book was how to be realistic about the way I can do the good work. Um, you get into this in so many ways, right? And really inspiring ways that I wasn't even considering. But the most direct way is your discussion of radical realism, from my perspective. Mm. What is that? We live in a society that is constantly telling us, go big or go home. Mm-hmm. And I think that's absurd. I mean, I think that that's just a recipe for keeping things exactly as they are. Because we can't do that. 99.9% of us are not going to do that. It is not in our nature. We don't have the time. We have pets. We have children. We have partners. We have jobs. We cannot do that. Mm -hmm. Radical realism is looking at your life as it exists in this moment, not your fantasy life, Mm -hmm. not your sister-in-law's life, your life, Mm -hmm. and saying, what can I do? in my life that makes a difference, that moves the needle just a tiny little bit. And saying, I am going to disengage from the notion of go big or go home. And I am instead going to engage in the notion of what can I actually do? What will I actually do? And then I'm going to commit to that. Because our capacity tends to grow the more we do. But if we're starting out with unrealistic expectations, we will maybe go great guns for 20 minutes and then we're going to hit a wall and we're going to be like, uh, you know, I'm out of here. So much better to do a small thing and think, oh, that was easy. Let me do more of that. <laughs> yes. One thing that really hit um, along that line is like, for me, th- you know, you encourage the reader to think about, like, what is a thing that you really like? Who is a person that you really like hanging out with? Um, what What is a thing that you're really skilled at that you don't mind doing for free, right? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I love, I, I teach yoga. I love teaching yoga. I love the feeling of it. When I go to yoga classes, I'm like, I should be teaching this class, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't mind doing it. I'll teach a yoga class to some, you know, some activists for free, you know, once a month. Yeah. And there you go, you know. And and there you go. Yeah. And I mean, and the thing is, what seems so easy and natural for you is a huge contribution to someone else. You don't know from your end how badly someone needs what you have to offer. Mm -hmm. We never, we almost never know that. Yeah. But I'm telling you that whatever it is you have to offer, there is someone out there who badly needs it. Make the offering. Yeah. Make the offering. offering. And and you can multi- multitask that thing, you know, like if you want to hang out with your homie, get your homie and go volunteer at the the food depository. Yep. Drag you know? as many people as you can get <laughs> along with you. Yeah. And, you know, for some of them, it may not be their thing, but for some of them, it might stick. Mm. And they might be like, you know what? 
I really enjoyed packing books for people who are incarcerated so they have something to read. I I think I'm going to go back and do that again. I really enjoyed being at the food pantry and just helping people have food so that they can get through the holidays with a little bit more joy in their lives. I think I'm going to go back and do that again. We don't know. Yeah. But we can make it we can make it fun for us yes. and we can maybe then spread that vibe out into the world. So much of your book harkens back for me to social media. Um yeah. <laughs> Uh, y'all, you can't see this, but um, Kari just just had a little chill up her spine when I when I mentioned this. Um, you talk about deep work versus shallow work, and that really brought me to the social media place because oftentimes when I'm feel feeling paralyzed by how overwhelming um the the world imploding <laughs> feels, um, the easiest thing for me I feel like is to just repost something on social. And it does feel extremely shallow. It almost sometimes makes me feel worse um, because I feel like I just reposted something. I didn't give it any context or explanation. Um, I I maybe didn't do enough research before I reposted it. It may have actually caused harm. Um, And I wanted to see if you could talk about how we know if we're doing deep work or shallow work and, and how to make that feel right for us when it is deep work. Okay, so there's a lot in there. Um, (laughs) Let me start with that. Although I use social media and I appreciate it, there are ways in which I feel like it's a tool of the devil. Mm. Because we can like something on social media and feel like we've done something. Now, I'm not saying that likes don't matter because they do, they can show just sort of where a preponderance of opinion is on an issue, and that can be helpful. But is it actually moving the needle on something or not is really hard to tell. And are we just doing it to show that, you know, we're not living in a cave and we have some humanity left in us? If that's why we're doing it, then it's really kind of shallow work. Mm. It's performative and there's a lot of pressure to perform, which is one of the reasons I am not a huge fan of social media is because there's so much pressure and the pressure does not have nuance to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now people are getting rid of friendships because a friend hasn't spoken out on the situation in between Israel and Hamas, right? It's like, you know, there are a lot of reasons people may not be speaking up publicly. Sometimes people feel like, I don't know enough to speak about this intelligently. And so they just don't want to say anything because they don't want to do harm. And that's legitimate. I mean, I'm actually writing this whole piece right now about how important it is that our values be consistent. They cannot shift depending on who we're talking to. Mm. If your values are shifting depending on who you're talking to, they are not your values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's just trying to fit in, which we're all, we're human. We want to do that. But let's be clear and let's make standards for ourselves. And those standards require contemplation and questioning and curiosity. And that's deep work. Just a snap judgment. Mm-mm. And you're more likely to do harm than good. Yeah. It's it's making me think of, um, I can't remember who who said this, and I'm so sad because I was trying to look it up. Um, I was listening to a talk, though, recently, and someone said, in order to affect change, you have to be 
able to engage with people that disagree with you. 100%. Yeah. And 100%. And also, you know, another component was like, in order to engage with that person, you know, some of their dirt is going to rub off on you and and vice versa, (laughs) you know, and it has to happen that way in order for us to come together and meet that common ground. Um, Yeah. How does that land for you? I... I mean, there's just no way I could agree with that more. And I think that what we tend to forget is the human experience is varied in its iterations, but it's very common in our goals. Our overarching goals are not that different. Mm. We want to be safe. We want to have food. We want to have shelter. We want our children to grow up and be safe and healthy, et cetera, et cetera our ideas of how we get there can be hugely divergent. Doesn't mean someone on the other side is wrong, which is why story feels so important to me. Because if you say to someone who is on the other side politically from you, on the other side ideologically from you, if you say to them, tell me more about why you feel the way you feel, two things are likely to happen. One, the temperature in the room is going to go down because you're not yelling at them and telling them that they're an idiot (laughs) or criminal. And two, you might learn something that leads to common ground. And that will not happen if you're in someone's face telling them how they're wrong and why they're wrong and how you're right. And that's just never going to happen. And it doesn't mean that either of you is going to change the other person's mind because Frankly, no one has ever changed anyone's mind in the history of humans. We change our own minds, but they might hear something or you might hear something that gives you a different understanding. And then you have some kind of shift in your perspective, not that your values are going to change, but you stop seeing someone perhaps as the enemy and instead understand why they feel the way they do. I'm not talking about hate speech. I'm talking about human beings with different perspectives on things from, you know, honestly, just different points of view. Yeah. I I have one last thing. Um, okay. If, if you have a few more minutes. I do. I wonder if you can read um, a few words from the book. I can tell you. Yeah. Is page 122 to 123. This is about legacy. Okay. Most of us want people to say nice things about us after we are gone, that we were kind, generous, and honest, and that we left the world a better place. But how do we actually accomplish that? Too often people feel that legacy is about a huge action, a large gift, or a singular memorable moment. This is true for some people, but for most of us, our legacy will be made of the many thousands of micro actions we take in our own small circles of influence. Legacy is like ripples in a pond. You take an action and the energy creates ripples that go beyond what you might imagine. This chapter about legacy, it really encourages us to think of it less in the context of the future and more in the now. Um, And I think that that passage really embodies that. And I wonder if you can talk more about those day-to-day present moment pieces of leaving a legacy. Every single thing we do leaves a legacy, whether we are aware of it or not. If we're engaging with someone else, we are leaving a legacy. 
in how we treat them, in what we say, in what we do. And I just feel like when we start thinking about each day as a legacy, it shifts everything. Because if if at the end of the day, you just sort of look over your day and you say, was this day a positive or negative legacy for the people I engaged with? You start behaving differently. Mm. If you start asking yourself that question on the regular, you're going to behave differently because you're going to understand how powerful we all are. We often think of ourselves as, you know, just one of 8 billion people on the planet. And what do, what difference does it make what I do? It matters. Mm. We all remember kindnesses that people did to us. And we also remember unkind things. So we are always leaving a legacy and being more intentional about that and thinking of it as a moment to moment thing, a day to day thing gives us a pathway to walk. Omkari Williams is the author of Microactivism, How You Can Make a Difference in the World Without a Bullhorn. Omkari, this has been so great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Erin. I've loved this conversation. Good. Me too. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Brendan Banizak is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR Network. And I've been racking my brain trying to remember who I heard talking about engaging with people that you disagree with. I think it was on a podcast or like a TV show, maybe, that was like news-based. If this is ringing a bell, maybe you heard it too somewhere. Email me at therundownpod at wbez.org. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow.